Hello everybody and welcome to another one of our financial wellbeing podcasts. My name's uh, David Lloyd. I'm here with uh, Chris Budd. Tell us about yourself, Chris. Good morning. Um, I am the author of the Financial Wellbeing book and I'm a guy who's going on holiday next week. So You can't wait, can you? <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I think you need a holiday, Chris. Thank you. Am I looking a bit haggard? Uh, uh, jaded, I think, is the jaded. word that you used <laughs> earlier on. But we'll soon snap you out of yes. that once we get on to today's uh, topic, which we'll come on to in a minute. Because we must always, I've just realised that in recent podcasts I've been a little bit remiss. So I introduce myself, I introduce Chris, we have a little bit of a chat. And then at some point during the podcast this disembodied voice <laughs> chimes in. And it's the voice of Tomo. Well of course Tomo is Tom Morris, our producer. Uh, he's sitting here with his headphones on looking very professional. I so try. rather than just chiming in unannounced, would you like to introduce yourself Tomo? As David said, I'm Tom Morris and I am the man behind Tight Ass Tomo. I'm also in need of a holiday, but I can't afford it, so hashtag pay rise for Tomo. Yeah, I will. That's why he doesn't get mentioned very often. <laughs> <laughs> what, no. always asking for a yes. pay rise? Uh, in the defence of my, uh, my boss to my left, um, I am going on holiday in a couple of weeks and I'm desperately in need of it. Right, okay then. What's on today's podcast, Chris? Today, David, we're going to talk about the world of money online, um, particularly with a bit of a focus on uh, cybercrime. Um, there's a few interesting things. I saw, particularly saw really fa- the best talk I've ever seen um, recently, and I want to tell you a little bit about that and some of the things I learned about it. It's time now for one of our uh, new sections that we've introduced in recent podcasts, and this is our new word. If you remember, uh, Chris came up a couple of podcasts ago with the word uh, huga from Denmark. And really what we're looking for are words that have no direct translation into English, uh, but that have some connection with financial well-being. So, Chris, I believe you've got another one for us today. I have. I have a Finnish word, which... How's your Finnish pronunciation, David? It's not very good. (laughs) I think that's confirmed. (laughs) This is a Finnish word which roughly translates as... It's called Karl Sariganit. And any Finnish listeners, please do tweet me to correct. Carl Sariganit. And it means the feeling when you're going to get drunk home alone in your underwear with absolutely no intention of going out. Oh. There's a word for that feeling. Who knew that there was a word for that? Isn't that Carl Sariganit. Well, it's a while, actually. I, mean, I think we've all been there. Let's be honest. <laughs> we've all been there. We've all sat at home. I'm not sure I've sat at home with a bottle of wine in my underwear. There's no, very no, specific. You should try it. I've got leather sofas at home and uh, six bottles of whiskies in the last six months that have been drunk since being a new parent. It's great, just strip down, got, got my briefs on. you not get stuck to it then? His leather. Uh, we could get a bit tacky. I wonder if there's a Finnish word for getting stuck to the leather sofa whilst uh, being engaged in Carl Sariganit. Well, if we have any Finnish listeners, please let us know. <laughs> right, another one of our what is becoming an increasingly popular features is, of course, tight-ass Tomo, named after our producer here, Tomo, who uh, famously came up with a great meal deal that he encouraged uh, Chris and another <laughs> colleague to go on. Said, I'll take Without you out telling for, us. Exactly, I'll take you out for lunch. Encouraged them to have this, this thing. Turned out that he got a voucher or an app or something whereby he got loads of money off. So out of that, the whole notion of tight-ass Tomo has been born. And we've asked you to send in your ideas on Twitter, hashtag tight-ass Tomo, with any ideas that you might come up with where you can save a little bit of money. So I've got one here from at Savvy in Somerset. So she's only spending £100 on Christmas gifts this year and the rest she's doing with freebies and couponing. 
I think that's great, actually. I think that uh, Christmas is, is, we all know, massively overhyped. Adverts will be starting any day soon, won't they? Uh, we should get Christmas back to what it's, which it should really be about. Well, I quite agree, and there's that danger, there's that temptation to always get drawn into thinking, oh, it's Christmas, I've, I've got to spend money. And I've reined myself right back in uh, over the last couple of years. I've stopped sending Christmas cards, and I make a donation to charity instead. But then I always feel a bit bad because I still receive Christmas cards mm-hmm. from people. Well, you know, there are some people who you only have a contact like at Christmas. They might think I'm dead. <laughs> they, if they're not friends of mine on Facebook, they might know. They might go, "Oh, shame! What happened with David?" And actually, I'm just being tight ass Davo. <laughs> one of my favourite podcasts is The Nerdist. And they interviewed the actress Jodie Foster, and she was talking about how quite a few years ago she stopped giving Christmas presents, but she does give Christmas cards, but they're all handmade. So the point of Christmas is it's a moment to reach out to people you maybe haven't seen for a while or those that you love and just send some little token. So rather than buying a pair of socks or a new car or whatever end of the spectrum you want to be, make a Christmas card, send it to them, and that shows the, the thoughtfulness, which is what Christmas is all about. Well, do you know what? I have a friend who always sends a handmade Christmas card. Is it Jodie Foster? Uh, it isn't Jodie Foster. No, we're not speaking anymore. We had a bit of a row <laughs> over Silence of the Lambs. I don't want to go into it. But, you know, basically, she got the part I felt should have been mine. <laughs> um, but I have a friend who sends me a handmade Christmas card every year, and that's the one I always look forward to getting. And you think, oh, they've really put some effort into that. Yeah. One of the things we talk about is spending money on others and experiences. Now, should it be shifted that actually, rather than spending money on lots of gifts, we should be spending money on having experiences around Christmas with people? I've just had the awful thought then, that instead of sending a Christmas card to everybody I know, I've got to go and visit everybody I know. (laughs) Dressed as Father Christmas. I'm walking in going, ho, 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 hello everybody, let me give you some free financial advice. I think that might wear off after a few years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think the novelty for, of that. For them and for you. Yes. <laughs> right, okay, now to the really important stuff. What's this week's Titus Tomo tip? So this week, I've, I've gone a bit practical. It's the married person's allowance. Now, some of you may know what that is, but it seems to have gone under the radar. And it is, if one of you is a non-taxpayer, you have to be married, obviously, married person's allowance, but one, if one of you is non-taxpayer, and the other is a basic taxpayer, you can claim an extra £230 in tax back. Do you have to actually physically do something about that? You do. And it's Ooh. on the government gateway. And we talked previously about how easy it is to now get your state pension online. And literally Google married persons allowance, go onto the government website, something that we've been telling our clients about where it's worked, worked for them. And you know what? Actually, two hundred and thirty pounds isn't bad in the back pocket. No, not at all. Well, I'm self-employed, so I have an accountant that does my accounts mm. for me. So, would she automatically do that? The person who is the non-taxpayer has to do the claim, right? So, whether they automatically do it, oh, wow. I would hope they'd be thinking well, about it. Well, I must it speak to my accountant, and I must get married as well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but another thing to add: can you go back a couple of tax years? I tell you what, Tomo. That's the least funny, but most practical tight ass tongue I get. £230. Money for old rope if you're married. Could be a high price to pay if you're not, though. <laughs> Is it really worth it for that extra little bit of money? Make sure you love them. That's my advice. Don't do it just for the money. Right, Chris, let's get down to the main event. Uh, what are we talking about on today's podcast? Well, I thought we'd have a chat about the world of virtual money um, with a particular emphasis on cybercrime, um, which is a real growth area at the moment. 
I spoke with someone recently who's a detective um, in Western Supermare in the area of financial fraud and he told me that there are more instances of financial crime than every other kind of criminal activity put together. That's how big a deal this is. So I thought we'd have a look at some of the common types of fraud and what people should look out for. Well, well, I've certainly been uh, a victim of cyber crime, I suppose you would put it, several times now. I get a phone call from my bank or an email from my bank saying, well, we've detected unusual activity on your account. Uh, the last time was about a year ago when all of a sudden somebody had gone into a propane store in the Midwest of the United States and bought something for a dollar using my card details. Wow. And uh, this apparently is something that they do, is they go and they make a low-cost purchase to see if anybody picks to test it, up, it To test it. And if nobody picks it up, they then go back and make a high-cost purchase, and then that's the way they rinse your account. Wow. Uh, fortunately, my bank were onto this and said, well, did you happen to be in Wisconsin or wherever it was? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I'm still in Backwell. Uh, so they stopped the card. But it was just a bit of a pain because I then had to wait a week before I got another card that I could use. Very similar experience I had. I was at university at the time and somebody cloned my card, but they were shopping at Toys R Us. I mean, I was a student, by the way, so I don't usually shop at Toys R Us when I was at university. So they went to Dixon's and, and all these places, bought washing machines with it. And my bank called me up and said, are you OK, Tom? I said, yeah, I'm all right, thanks. I said, uh, have you been shopping? And, and just like that, I had to call the police and get them involved and got the money back and the bank were brilliant. However, it took time and it was an effort and it meant as a student, my cash flow for a month was really quite tight. It was a nervous experience for me and it just goes to show that you have to be extra careful. But the problem is I never really got to the bottom of how it happened. Well, I asked my bank, I said, how do they do this? And they said, quite disarmingly, we don't know. A lot of the stuff that they use nowadays you think that they're getting quite sophisticated. That would be the logic, wouldn't it? You mm. think they're getting more and more sophisticated. But actually, the more sophisticated they get, the more sophisticated the banks get and the defensives get. So actually, what this all boils down to is the weak link is us. So phishing, for example, that's where you might get an email, uh, maybe it's a gift card. So somebody sent you a gift card and it's got a link go and see your e-card here you click on the link and suddenly what happens is that opens up the gateway to the criminal who can then get into your pc and look at all of your information and it's us that's the weak link we're the ones that do the clicking mm -hmm. you know actually the protection now is pretty good so the big message is we are the ones who need to protect ourselves by being more aware. I've got much better at that because you used to get these links that people would send you. I remember I got one once on Twitter, actually, and it was just somebody sent me and said, oh, have you heard what people are saying about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that this link and I thought, oh, wow, what is that? And so I clicked on it and immediately I then exposed myself to uh, the potential of, of some sort of fraud. You don't quite know what it is. But you just know you've suddenly given scary people the opportunity to get behind your defences, your cyber defences. And it's a real worry, and I think we have to be vigilant about that. Mm. I've developed a bit of a sixth sense now, but I'm sure as my sixth sense develops, the, 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 the fraudsters will be coming up with other ways of circumventing it. Yeah, I, I, saw, I saw a talk by a chap called John Sileo. Um, he's on Twitter at John underscore Sileo, S-I-L-E-O. Uh, just Google him for his website. And it was the best conference speech I've 
ever seen. And there was one thing he did, and I'm not giving anything away because he actually puts this clip on his website. He was talking for a while about the fact that we are the weakest link, that we are the ones who are allowing them in by clicking or, or, or giving information out. And that we should call Bull when we hear something and think, hang on, call Bull and then think about it, just stop. And he'd been talking about this for half an hour and he goes up to the lady in the second row of the audience and he said, may I just borrow your handbag for a moment just to, to illustrate something? He said, yeah, of course, gives him her handbag. And he walks off and goes, have you not been listening to me? <laughs> <laughs> what about it? And he, he was smiling and laughing and she was smiling and laughing back. But he had a handbag. Mm. And then he said, I wonder if she'll still be laughing if I get all the contents out on stage in front of everybody. Mm. He didn't, but the point was made. So all a bit of a laugh, and he was so entertaining and fun, but making a brilliant point. And he goes back over and he says, thanks ever so much for being a sport, gives a handbag back and says, um, I'd like to put a, a, a picture of this on the Facebook page, if that's all right. So he takes a picture of her with his phone. Then he says, that'll be useful. That'll look good. And well on her, on her fake driving licence, I can now make. And then <laughs> he keeps doing these things and she keeps going with it. And, and, and finally, he says, uh, I'd like to give you a DVD of my shows. Oh, there's no DVD in the box. Never, I'll have to post it to you. Can I have your address? And finally, she says no. <laughs> but she's given out all this information. I was once on a train, a crowded train, coming back from London to Bristol. And there was a guy on there who was making a phone call to the accounts department at work because there was a problem with his salary. And he was very irate because he'd not been paid properly. During the course of that conversation, uh, very high volume, he divulged his national insurance number, uh, his address, his full name, his date of birth, his uh, tax code, all the information that they had on him, and he was just giving it out over the phone. People can get very careless, I think, sometimes with the information that they give away. They can, but they cannot, it's also so easy to do it. I, I had a telephone call from my bank about an irregularity and they, they phoned me up and they said, uh, that Mr. Bird? Yes, um, it's a bank, we want to check something um, to make sure it's you, could we have your password? And I said, well, no. And they said, why not? Because well, you called me. Mm. Uh, I'll call you back. Well, here's the number. No, 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 I'm not going to call you back on a number you give. I'll look you up, you know. And I did. And it was the bank security department. Really? Well, I thought you were supposed never to divulge Exactly. So why the would the bank security department phone me up and ask me for my password? There was another uh, a, a story that Don Saleo had said that um, that morning uh, during the conference, he'd been in the hotel lobby and he had changed the name of his phone to, uh, let's say it was a Hilton hotel, Hilton Free Wi-Fi. So now everybody who wants to go on to get free Wi-Fi can see his phone is on their list, but it's called Hilton Free Wi-Fi. So they click on that one and they get to the Wi-Fi through his phone. And now he says, there's apps on my phone that I can now get all of your information from your, your past, everything from your phone. Oh, that's cunning and simple, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it good? <laughs> right, I can add of that one. Free Wi-Fi in a public place. Be very, very wary of it. That's right. And the other one as well that you used to see a lot of, but I haven't had for a while, is you would have an email from a friend of yours saying, oh, I'm stuck in wherever it may be and I've run out of money. Um, could you wire me some money and I'll pay you back when I get back? And I remember the first time I got one of those, it just seemed very plausible. I thought, oh, poor old whoever it was. And then I looked at it again and I thought, well, hang on a minute. I haven't spoken to this person for a while. Why would they suddenly email me out of the blue? And again, that's how people get hold of your email distribution list. And I don't know how they do that. And then just email you and say, um, send me some money, and some people clearly do. It feels as though it's preying on the vulnerable as well. 
that's what makes me feel really uncomfortable about it is is those that maybe aren't so astute or or, or have difficulties processing um, information and take everything quite literally. We're also not helping ourselves with the amount of information that we give out on social media, etc. And there's two stories I would give to illustrate this point. One of them, which really chilled me, is the hitman scam, where somebody uh, emails you and says, I've been paid to kill you, and if you don't give me X amount of money, you will die. And you think, well, that's ridiculous, no one's going to believe that. But they then give out lots of personal information about you, which they've simply gleaned off of your Facebook, Twitter, etc. accounts, um, to make it sound really quite believable. I hope I never get one of those. That sounds absolutely terrifying. Well, I'd go straight to the police. Well, yeah, quite. That's what I would do. But that is terrifying, isn't it? And it is the length at which people will go. There are some really nasty people out there. Mm. Well, here's a great one. I must confess, I've tried to find this online and I haven't succeeded, so I wonder if it's apocryphal. But chief executive of a very large, like, huge American company uh, is going to China on a business trip. After he's been there for a day, he emails his secretary to say... There's a snag with the deal. We haven't settled a $40 million invoice. I'll let you know some bank details if this becomes a problem. Later that day, another email from the boss to say, yeah, it is a problem. Can you sort it? So here's the bank details, etc. So they pay the $40 million, but it was from his email address. It was using the language that she would, he would use, like using her nickname. It was a 15-year-old Russian schoolboy who had been tracking him for three weeks online. He knew all about the Chinese trip, you know, go on Twitter, looking forward to meeting my counterpart, all this stuff. Um, got all of his date of birth, all his personal details, and the way he would talk to his secretary by shadowing his emails, etc. They got $4 million back, apparently. So there's quite a wealthy 15-year-old Russian schoolboy out there somewhere. I hope nobody's sitting at home listening to this and thinking, oh, this could be a good way of increasing my financial well-being. <laughs> No, we don't advocate crime as financial no. well-being. No, we definitely don't. And that won't bring you well-being. It'll no, just bring exactly. imprisonment. The message to those stories is just to be aware. We've had it within our company where one of my colleagues got an email from me asking him to pay an invoice. And he phoned me up and he said, you sure about this one? And I said, I've no idea what you're talking about. So we've had this ourselves and it's not difficult for them to do. What is difficult is to get us, or should be difficult, is to get us to take action. So it's all about our defences, it's our responsibility. It's not trusting that there's some sort of online mechanism to stop it all from happening. It's all down to us, personal responsibility. So be vigilant, folks. That's the message from Chris Budd. It's so easy. It only takes a second to click on a link. I've got a three-second rule, for example, on Twitter. So if I write something, I just spend, take my move away for three seconds and go back before I click send. Not that all my followers would believe that I Can we increase that to possibly 30 seconds? <laughs> maybe three minutes? And I now use this for links and emails as well. Anything, I just, well hang on a minute, just pause. That's a very good idea. It's, it's all so easy with money online these days. Transferring money from your phone and all the simple ways they make it for you to be able to pay bills. Um, I'm not even sure what money is these days. Does it still have a, a physical characteristic? In simple terms, it's a way of valuing something. So I can say I'll swap you a pencil for a tea bag. So if that means that tea bags and pencils are valued the same, then we can call them both worth one, one whatever that it, one money. Okay. And once you've established that principle, everything can be valued. And we don't actually need to hold money anymore. It becomes virtual. Yeah, but now that's all well and good, but. When it gets a bit weird is when you've got 
new types of money that are invented, virtual money, like Bitcoin, for example. How does that work? Do you know what? I haven't got a clue. I don't understand Bitcoin. We need somebody young and savvy and familiar with the dot-com ways to explain it to us, David. Who could that be right here? If only there was somebody here <laughs> that, that could... Tombo, do you know anybody? Yeah, Bitcoin. An interesting one. It's a new type of currency. I say new. It was set up in 2009 by a chap called Satoshi Nakamoto. It was a pseudonym. It's easy for you to say. <laughs> and he's actually come out, he's, he's an Australian uh, chap, but he, he, was, he was all under a, a bit of a cloud of secrecy before. But he set up this software that enabled a currency to be created, and that's what Bitcoin is. And the idea is that no banks created it. It's the first decentralised currency. So, so as usual, in the UK, we have the Bank of England. They print money and create the currency that, that we use in the UK. Uh, but Bitcoin, the idea was that they would create this currency and it was all meant to be open source. So whoever was the owner of a certain Bitcoin is all there on a ledger so people can see it. But more Bitcoins are created as transactions happen. It's all online. I could have a Bitcoin and you could have one. Uh, you could want to purchase one, David. So we'd be online. You could do it via what's called a, a Bitcoin wallet and the market price will be what it is at the time. You go, OK, well, I got one Bitcoin and... I want to sell it to you for ten dollars, and they go, okay, and the money goes hand to hand. We never meet each other, um, but that particular transaction has to be sort of verified by and someone. Is that amount determined by how much I'm prepared to pay you for it? So I'm now holding a virtual Bitcoin in my hand. <laughs> how do we work out what that piece of air is worth? Market forces, like the pound, is worth a certain amount against the euro. You can see it on the markets, just like any other currency it's traded all online basically it's person to person so somebody have a bitcoin and you'll buy it off them for a certain price so the more people that are buying and selling bitcoins the more sure that you have a price so there's no sort of bartering to be had really uh, at the moment it's quite it's, it's a mature market so actually a bitcoin it's four thousand dollars at the moment at the date of recording this but a unit of currency is only worth something if it can be exchanged for goods or services. Correct. And Bitcoin is really growing in what you can buy. More and more uh, shops and retailers are accepting Bitcoin, so it gets a bit more validity. And it's probably shown in the value of Bitcoin in the last three months is quadrupled. When we used to sit down with a, p a pile of gold <laughs> locked in a chest that we'd kept under our bed, Everybody had an understanding about what wealth they had because they had something that was tangible. And now it seems increasingly that wealth is something that's a more abstract concept and it's calculated by computer software, as is in the case in Bitcoin. It's supposed to be a currency, Tomo, mm -hmm. but all I hear about is how much more it's worth. So is it a currency or is it an investment? A currency is an investment for people if they want to play in that market. So what are the advantages, would you say, to the Bitcoin system as against what we understand to be normal currency? Is it the fact that there are no, no banks there that can influence those rates and it's purely a market force-led economy? Yeah, there, there is that argument. It's a real free market. It's, there's no influence from governments. It's the open nature of it, from what I can understand. You can see every owner everyone who's owned a certain Bitcoin. And is it subject to the same financial regulations as regular no, finance no. is? 
Well, that would be the concern for me, is that who can... It's all very well saying, well, it's led by market forces, but then then who makes those decisions? It it seems to me that it would be very easy to manipulate Bitcoin and manipulate the worth of Bitcoin. And also, given where this conversation started, surely it opens up the possibility of fraud as well. So we come full circle and we're going to come back to the the central message of, of this conversation, which is personal responsibility. If you want to invest in Bitcoin, go for it, but know what you're doing. Do your research, find out about it. And if you're not comfortable with that level of risk or if you can't afford that level of risk, don't do it. If you don't fully understand it, don't do it. It's not regulated, so you can't come back later and say somebody didn't tell me not to do it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's down to you to protect yourself. Well, this is a massive issue, and we've tried to cover some of the areas where you may be subjected to cyber fraud or financial fraud. If you've got any experiences yourself, this is something I think that we could perhaps come back to in another podcast. So we'd love to hear from you if you have been the uh, victim of financial fraud or indeed if you're the perpetrator of financial fraud. (laughs) (laughs) And you've got a good scheme. We'd especially like to hear from the latter, yes. Exactly. And and I would especially like to hear from someone who would be able to explain Bitcoin a bit clearer to me than than what I was reading, because I think it's growing. It's growing, and I think yeah, people could have their on, fingers burned. Yeah, we can have some on a future podcast, yeah. wouldn't we, of a, a Bitcoin expert, mm. a Bitcoin broker. Is mm. there such a thing? <laughs> well, if not, let's invent one. Well, thanks for your time, uh, Tomo and Chris. Uh, this has been another one in our series of financial wellbeing podcasts. And Julie will tell you all the different ways you can get in contact on email, Twitter, all the different social media. See you next time. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. And he plays at stocks and shares and he goes to the regatta. And he adores the girl next door because he's dying to get at her. But his mother knows the best about the matrimonial stakes. <laughs>